Welcome back to Money and Meaning, stories of unlocking the potential of global markets for impact. I'm your host, Alex Kravitz. For today's episode, I sat down with Joe Spiker, the executive director of the Autodesk Foundation. The private foundation aims to move the needle on social and environmental issues where the design and engineering expertise of Autodesk can be leveraged for social good. Specifically, the foundation focuses on low-carbon innovations, resilient communities, and future of work, and they provide funding, software, and human capital for both nonprofits and for-profits tackling these issues. They were also one of the earliest corporate philanthropies to utilize impact investing, deploying capital and in whatever way made the most sense for the individual challenge they were trying to solve for. During my conversation with Joe, we talk about the evolution of the Autodesk Foundation, how and why they began impact investing, and the reasons that he thinks design and engineering solutions are underfunded, both in impact investing and philanthropy. Let's jump into the conversation. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Can, can you give our listeners a quick background on, on Autodesk before we dive into the work that, that you do at the foundation? Absolutely. So uh, Autodesk is one of the oldest companies here in Silicon Valley. We're approaching 40 years old, and we're a design software firm. So we create products that allow people to design and make physical things, um, and in some cases, digital things. So if you've ever appreciated a skyscraper like the Salesforce Tower here in San Francisco or admired a high-performance vehicle like a Tesla or even the iPhone in your pocket, uh, these are the things that our customers are making with our software tools. And so we are the design software solution for almost everything that is man-made in the world. In the Autodesk Foundation launched six years ago, and I believe you've been around from, from the start. Uh, take me back to those early conversations. What was the impetus for launching the, the foundation? Yeah, so this is actually the second iteration of the Autodesk Foundation. So in the 90s, Autodesk created a foundation as well that was focused primarily on education. And they did a lot of really pioneering work as a funder of experience-based learning. Um, which has found its way into a lot of kind of pedagogy over the over the last two decades. Uh, however, they were a public foundation named the Autodesk Foundation, and so raising funds from other organizations was somewhat challenging. Um, in this second iteration of the foundation, Autodesk recognized the need for a philanthropic vehicle to realize its impact goals as a company. And so the foundation was actually incorporated the year before I was brought on board to lead the initiative because they knew that this was something that they they wanted to create to kind of funnel and uh, up level the work in this area, which tended to be more kind of um, ad hoc and um, organic within the company. And so the mandate that I was brought on to lead was support the design and engineering solutions to the world's most challenging problems. None of that was defined. That's a very broad, expansive mandate. And we've spent the last five or six years kind of clarifying that, getting very specific on our investment thesis, our grant making, theory of change, et cetera, et cetera. But those are the early conversations that that birthed the creation of the Autodesk Foundation. And and what are the impact areas that you've come to focus on out of that original broad mandate? 
Yeah, it's a good question. So one of the phrases in that mandate is the world's most pressing challenges. And you can define that in any number of ways. I and and our board and uh, our team believe that you can define any problem, any societal problem that we have as either a climate change problem or an inequality problem. And you can move up and down the spectrum from global issues to CO2 emissions for climate change to local issues around homelessness here in the Bay Area. But um, for the most part, every challenge that we have as a society can be boiled down to climate change or inequality. And so our thesis has evolved over the years to bring our resources to bear against those two large challenges. And how has it evolved over the years? Yeah. Um, So originally we started with, okay, we just need to focus the power of design on societal issues. And so early days, we would we funded we had a we had a semi rigorous criteria, but we funded a lot of initiatives that had an element of design and were focused on impact issues. Um, And what we very quickly realized after a couple of years was that we could have a significant impact on climate change because almost everything that is man made comes through a design tool. And it's very likely that it comes through an Autodesk design tool. And so the implications for energy and materials is significant. So uh, beginning in year two, we started looking at everything with a climate change lens. And so we looked at climate mitigation. Um, How can we reduce CO2 as well as adaptation? And our adaptation thesis is a little bit a little bit more expansive. If you believe that climate change will disproportionately impact vulnerable communities, then any support of vulnerable communities is a de facto climate adaptation strategy. And and again, with our lens of design and engineering, we bring design and engineering to vulnerable communities, looking at it from a climate adaptation perspective. And so that manifests as organizations like Kickstart International in Sub-Saharan Africa, focused on uh, agricultural productivity, that we can help them significantly on their product design goals. And we were looking for a way to expand into inequality. And as a technology company in the Valley, uh, we said, you know, we're an automation company. We are helping automate the design and make process. We better be focused on the disruptions caused by automation and technological innovation in the workplace. And so um, we opened up our third area of focus, which is on the future of work. And how do we help folks adapt to an ever-changing technology set in the workplace that can be disruptive? And so, uh, again, that was a little bit discursive, but the three areas of focus that we've evolved towards to answer your initial question, Alex, are low-carbon innovation for climate mitigation, resilient communities for climate adaptation, and then finally, future of work to focus on the inequality issue, thinking about automation and the labor market. Got it. They're, they're still fairly broad mandates, <laughs> it seems like, right? Like inequality is, is, is broad, low carbon emission. Is there a specific area, you know, with the design focus? Like, do you focus on the, the built environment, like the carbon footprint of the built environment? Or, or, or are there specific sub areas within those that the Autodesk expertise tends to, tends to work best for? Yeah, it seems fairly broad. And in fact, um, the design and engineering lens um, is an incredibly powerful focusing 
force. And we believe one that is terribly underrepresented in uh, the philanthropic and impact investing space. If you look at Autodesk's markets overall, specifically the built environment and the product design and manufacturing space, those account for roughly 60% of all CO2 emissions around the planet, around the globe. Um, yeah, so it's, it's significant. But uh, to your point, um, I think it's important to note, like we were founded on two primary principles that really guide our work um, that, that kind of answer that question around focus in these areas. So one of them is as a corporate philanthropy, we tie our work very closely to the business because it's what we know, right? We're not writing checks to the opera um, or, you know, childhood obesity because it's not the focus area for our business. And we can bring a lot more human capital and intellectual capital to these challenges um, and do things that are un- we are uniquely placed to do. So that's principle number one, tied to the business. Principle number two is um, philanthropy needs to be much more risk tolerant than it is. Our thesis is that there are not a whole lot of nonprofits that have gone to scale. In fact, when you really think about it, there's there's very, very, very few. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous maybe being the one uh, exemption from that rule. The opportunity to influence the public sector by de-risking interventions through grant making and the opportunity to have large transformative impact at scale via the private sector through impact investing is where we want to play. And so therefore, we do, um, we engage in grant making and investing um, to achieve our impact goals. But those two principles really help to focus where we align our strategic areas of impact. And so tied to the business is going to keep us within our markets. And there's huge impact potential in those markets. And then high risk, um, which we believe every philanthropy should be taking bigger, higher, riskier bets, um, keeps us more towards the earlier stage. And so uh, to your question about like, okay, where do we, where do we focus with the design and engineering lens, with the high risk lens, um, and with the tie to the business lens, we are focused on the built environment. Um, A lot of that work is in our resilient communities bucket. And so organizations like Build Change, um, Build X, Build Health International, obviously a lot of building going on in these organizations, are um, some of our cornerstone examples of that. Um, In the low carbon innovation space, it tends to be a lot of product design. And that too is one of the big markets that we focus on as a company and we know it very well. Um, And in the future of work, uh, this is our newest area. A lot of it has to do with bringing um, or connecting work and learning. We've had a traditional system where you go to college and or grad school outside of the work environment and then go into the labor market. And the future is very much one where those two will be very closely tied together. You see that in a lot of executive programs. You see that in a lot of corporate training programs. But particularly now in a COVID era, you're seeing a lot, a lot more mm-hmm. of it. So. Yeah, we, we think we're pretty focused, but it might sound like we're not. <laughs> <laughs> you, you mentioned a, a number of things that I want to come back to. First, you mentioned the human and intellectual capital that you provide in addition to, to financial support. Can you give an example of um, like a specific organization that, that you work with and the, the various types of support that, that Autodesk provides? 
Yeah, sure. I'll give um, I'll give two quick examples. So uh, there's an organization working in West Africa called Miagro, and they do actual product development for seed planters in that geography. And the initial prototype was an assembly of like over a hundred different parts for this thing. And in the manufacturing space, the more parts you have, the more challenging it becomes to um, your supply chains, assemblies, et cetera, et cetera, becomes really difficult to manage. And so we actually deployed a team to West Africa to do user research last summer and to help design for manufacturability of their product so that they could make it cheaper and better for the user. Um, And that is something that's uniquely Autodesk. Like we, it's an example of providing funding to the organization, focusing our people on the problem who are designers and engineers themselves. Um, And then our software, how can our software tools improve the design and manufacturability of that product? Another really fun example, although it's indicative of a larger societal problem, is our work with the UNHCR. So if you'll remember in 2017-18, the Rohingya refugee crisis, um, you had almost a million people move from Myanmar into neighboring Bangladesh, and the UNHCR had to create a site and settlement for those roughly million people before the monsoon hit. So we very quickly dispatched a team of designers and civil engineers to go help them do that as quickly as possible um, and to effectively move people who were in flood and landslide prone areas to a newly developed campsite. And we had to do so in in a matter of months. And so bringing that unique value to our partners in the field is, I think, what makes us uniquely able to deliver this type of impact in the world. That's great. And you, you talked about the, the impact investing work that you do, and that's very much in our wheelhouse at, at SOCAP and on the podcast. Um, and I, I think that the Autodesk Foundation was one of the first corporate philanthropies to, to begin impact investing. How did that come about? Yeah. So when we realized that we could have a big impact on climate, um, simply because of who we were as a company and what our software tools could do and where we could, where we could add value in this space. And actually, actually, let me step back. Um, I was challenged by our head of sustainability at, at Autodesk to say, Hey, what are you doing for climate change? And we went out and scanned the market and found that the majority of philanthropic players in this space fund policy and advocacy, which is, uh, it's a high risk business. Um, funding policy and advocacy because one election can overturn a lot of policies that have been supported. But it really wasn't fundamentally us as an organization being tied to our business. And and while it is high risk, we, we weren't willing to take that policy risk. And so we said, okay, where can we play in this space? And we looked at basically the energy markets and how our energy is consumed and deployed and generated throughout throughout the world. And if you look at it very specifically, we there's energy generation, that's creating energy, there's energy distribution, there's energy consumption, and there's energy storage. And energy generation, for the most part, that problem has been solved through renewables, right? Um, and every year they get incrementally cheaper and the capacity improves uh, typically by orders of magnitude. So not a, not a real place for us to, to play. Energy distribution is mostly the purview of municipalities, 
there's some marginal support that can be played there, but it's not necessarily uh, a place where philanthropic players can play. Storage and consumption are two areas that need a ton of innovation. And so we have focused our efforts to date on what are the opportunities to uh, radically transform how we consume and store energy at industry-level scale. And so all of that stuff is happening in the private market. These are all startups. Um, and you know, go to one of our partners like the Closed Loop Partner. We're an LP uh, in Closed Loops Fund. We're an LP in Prime Coalition's Impact Fund. They are funding these really interesting hardware innovations that can have significant climate emissions reduction at scale over the next couple of decades. And so we said we have to be playing in this space. And so we dipped our toe in focusing on, you know, some of the ecosystem players like Prime and like Closed Loop. And once we got comfortable, we started making direct investments and and pre-seed and some Series A's and whatnot. Examples include Rebound Technologies, which is cold chain um, here in the U.S. We're doubly exposed to them through both Prime and we took part in their Series A round. Tro, which is a a hardware uh, HVAC startup. It's basically incredibly energy efficient air conditioning units. Air conditioning is a really challenging problem because as the world grows um, and gets hotter, you get into a vicious cycle of higher energy consumption. And so cracking the nut of extremely energy efficient uh, cooling um, is a huge opportunity. And they've got to reduce CO2 emissions. And so that's what essentially got us into impact investing as a space. And now that we're comfortable with it, we're looking at impact investing deals in our future of work portfolio, as well as our resilient communities portfolio. It may be too early to to say, but what have you seen in terms of the impact returns of the the for profit impact investments versus the the grant capital that you were deploying previously? Well, uh, we have not to get right to the point. We have not uh, experienced a liquidity event as of yet in our impact investing because the markets for hardware technology are slow moving for the most part. Mm -hmm. You typically have a lot of incumbents, right? And so we're looking at potential exits or liquidity events over the period of like seven to 10 years, um, longer than we've been around as a foundation. So while I don't have any fun numbers to report yet, we do think that particularly some of our partners, and I don't know if you're familiar with the Prime Coalition, but this is a rock star group of investors and investment advisors that have been playing this game for a very long time. And this is the patient capital that w- can launch these organizations into industry transformative roles. And so we feel really good about it, but we don't have much to report as of yet, Alex. Mm-hmm. But even from a from a social return, like are you seeing a a leveraging of your capital that wasn't there with philanthropic investments? Maybe it's too early, and you know you, you're only you said what a few years into making these impact investments. But are you are you generating impact that you would not have been able to generate with purely grant capital? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I will say we we funded. Uh, have you heard of the Crane tool? Mm-mm. Okay, so this is a really interesting example, um, and and I get so jazzed about it because it's predictive impact. So whenever you think about impact, you report you, you're looking at you're you're always backward looking. How many people did we help? How many tons of carbon did we offset? 
And what you want is something that's forward-looking. What's the future potential? And so Crane um, was pioneered by, again, the Prime Coalition and a consortium of other organizations, and it stands for the Carbon Reduction Assessment for New Enterprises. And it's a tool you can be found online, and you put in your assumptions, and it tells you what your carbon emissions might be based on all of those assumptions. And so we're asking, we've asked our portfolio that that's the guide by which we will look at um, investment opportunities. And so the potential is significant, right? Like we're looking at like Mm -hmm. tens of gigatons offsets over the next 30 years. What we need to really track is, is what's the actual and where do those two curves meet? Where does actual meet potential and over what time horizon? And so um, from an impact perspective, like this is really revolutionary, but again, super long time horizons. I mean, we all became students of like what happened with clean tech VC investing that completely exploded in 2007, 2008 financial crisis. Like there was no activity in the years following that. And a couple of ecosystem players have stuck around and, and, and made it through that really challenging financial time. But the time horizons on these are not such that they lend themselves very well to VC funding. And so we're excited, but we have the long, long, long-term view. And, and how, how is it different? I mean, you're, you're talking at least about the impact investments very much like a seed stage venture capitalist. How is a corporate foundation doing impact investing different than like a corporate venture arm? investing from my perspective is a vehicle. It's a means to an end, right? Like there are, you know, various corporate venture arms that, you know, have financial goals, they have strategic goals, they have competitive goals and acquisition opportunities. It's kind of all over the place. I see it more as like, okay, what fits with the intended need for whatever the institution is, right? So I'll give you an example, which can maybe clarify this a little bit. Uh, there is a really cool company here in the Bay Area called Factory OS. It's industrialized construction. It's basically modular housing. And it's a bunch of guys that it's a contractor and a real estate developer who've been doing this for years, uh, who could retire from all of their successful ventures, successful real estate ventures over the last couple of decades, but decided that, that the field needs something new and it needs to be impact focused, that the incentives for real estate developers, owners, builders are all such that you come up with suboptimal results, i.e. what we have in the Bay Area, which is a housing crisis. And I think the Bay Area is probably canary in the coal mine for many other cities around the country. So they created Factory OS, industrialized construction. They could do it cheaper, better, faster, um, at the same time as investing in their workers. So they came to us through our software donation program. So we need Autodesk software. We donate software to any startup um, or nonprofit that has, but startups that have any sort of um, societal goals, be they climate, inequality, et cetera. And so we were introduced to them through this program. And uh, the opportunity when they were raising around came to us. We said, oh, this is really interesting. We want to be a part of this. We think this is great. In order to play a substantial role, it required pockets beyond our own. So we actually handed that over to our venturing arm at Autodesk. Um, and actually, the company made their first impact investment into Factory OS. We 
still kind of own that relationship. Um, but it's, uh, it's one of these examples where like, okay, let's find the best tool to solve this specific problem. From, a, from Autodesk's perspective, is it's a strategic investment in the industrialized construction space because we see that as the future of the built environment has a very large modular you know, manufacturing of housing component to it. So we wanted to play in that space. We also wanted to advance our impact goals. And so to be able to knock out two birds with one stone was a perfect example. It was a means to an end for us. And we, we look at our friends at Salesforce that are doing the same way, albeit in a very different modus tied to their venturing arm specifically. And it's actually very internal to them. But I think about it as it's a vehicle that we can exploit to achieve our wider impact goals um, or, or whatever means to an end that you're trying to Got achieve it. with it. You, last time we spoke, Joe, you, you mentioned that you thought that that philanthropy was a net negative for society. <laughs> what, yes. what did yet yet you're the executive director of a corporate philanthropy? Uh, uh, what did you What did you mean when you said that you thought it was a net negative? And then you know the the inevitable follow on is is kind of how do you how do you reconcile that with your role as a as a philanthropist? Uh, that actually is how I came came on board at Autodesk. So this is a little bit of a personal story, but um, I was on the founding team of Living Goods, which is a kick-ass social enterprise uh, doing great work. And um, I used to go to corporates all the time and with help with a problem from Living Goods. And and we were a a sales and distribution company in in frontier markets. I always was having inventory management problems, supply chain challenges, cash management problems in, in sub-Saharan Africa. And every time I would get relegated, when I would approach a big CPG company like Nestle, Unilever, Procter & Gamble, I would get relegated to their CSR department, which was typically no help to me at all, because those guys did not have the inventory management experience that I needed for whatever problem I was having. So when Autodesk was hiring for uh, someone to lead their philanthropy, I was like, well, corporate philanthropy can add so much value if you tie it to the business. So, um, and Autodesk said, great, let's do that. We want, we want to be able to do that. And by way of example, at our five-year anniversary last year, we had deployed about $25 million in uh, grants and about $125 million in in-kind support, which was our software, our people time, wow. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so it's orders of magnitude greater than what our financial support is because we can uniquely provide those services, a la that Miagro example. Additionally, if you think about philanthropy's role in society overall, the opportunity to opt out of paying taxes or receiving a tax benefit from a charitable gift and deciding where you want to apply that has a moral hazard because you have no accountability for solving societal problems to a certain extent. And so I think that there's a very large discussion in the philanthropic world now um, as per, um, you know, winners take all and just giving some of these books that were published just last year around what is the role of philanthropy. And everybody feels that it needs to be more accountable, right? Because there's just a lack of accountability. And so I think a lot of philanthropy is wasted on projects that don't actually meet impact goals. The way to square that circle, Alex, is to fund the things that the public and sometimes private sector cannot or will not fund. It's to de-risk those things for Mm -hmm. those sectors, right? And so that's the way that you solve for how do you, how can philanthropy actually be a net positive to society by saying, oh, okay, 
city and county of San Francisco is funding beds and meals for homelessness. They're not solving for homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the radical interventions that philanthropy can de-risk and demonstrate to be impactful and then tee that up to the public sector? Or for instance, like Rebound, you fund a company, de-risk a company that says we can do the cold chain so much cheaper and more energy efficient than anybody else. And then the private markets take that and run with it to scale, right? So um, yes, I think that philanthropy, uh, it's a very, it's a provocative statement, but I think philanthropy <laughs> really needs to be focused on taking the high risk bets. Given that philosophy about corporate philanthropy is funding things that the public sector can't or won't fund and the increased risk tolerance that you think philanthropy should take on, what, what do you see as the role of corporate philanthropy during the the current pandemic? Well, we have received significant infusion of capital from our parent company, Autodesk Inc. We're a private foundation solely incorporated at the behest of Autodesk Inc. And what's interesting is, is we made the pretty quick decision at this time, um, we need to bolster our public institutions. And so very quickly, um, we got funding to the CDC and to the WHO because those organizations are not being funded by the public sector to the extent that they need to be. They they were undercapitalized. We actually worked with uh, a consortium of other technology companies to provide grants to those organizations. That was immediately for the response. So it was like, okay, today we need investments in uh, infrastructure, PPE, um, testing, et cetera. And so that was, that was a quick response deployment. Um, we've now kind of transitioned our thinking into, okay, going from response into recovery, we're modeling out a lot of the economic impacts to our portfolio and saying, you know, how do we make sure that we're keeping our eye on the long term and focused on the delivery of impact through our existing organizations? Um, and I'm doing a lot of thinking on like, okay, we're going from response to recovery. We need to be a hell of a lot more resilient over the long term. What are the systemic fundamental changes that we can potentially birth through this crisis? Never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, where do we need to be pushing to be able to like set the stage for the radical change we need to see it for both climate change and um, inequality? It's It's been interesting both from a inequality and from a climate change standpoint. Obviously, you've seen the the current pandemic most disproportionately impacting the the poorest people generally. Yeah. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've seen like this lifting of, you know, nobody's going anywhere. There's no smog in in the cities and, and it's it's provided sort of a a view of what a low carbon world would would look like. Um so to to kind of both of your your pillars of the foundation. It's been it's been an interesting case study, I would imagine. Well, from my perspective, it's like, look what we can do from a climate change perspective and the reduction mm-hmm. in, in CO2 emissions. We can we can do it if we want it. Now, there's a direct tie to economic activity and climate change. And I think that that's the wrong question. I think that we can decouple economic activity from carbon emissions. It's just a long-term transformational systems transformation that we've got to get through. But we've just kind of shown that like we're capable of doing this um, if we want to from the climate perspective. From the inequality perspective, 
the this crisis has laid bare and really brought to the fore mm-hmm. the systemic challenges of vulnerable populations. You're seeing that in the morbidity and mortality rates among low-income populations and minorities. And if we really want to get out ahead of it, we have to address some of those fundamental systemic challenges that they're facing. And hopefully, this is an opportunity now that it's been really brought to the forefront to have that conversation and to address some of those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be the, the silver lining in this this whole thing. I hope so. Yeah. Um, is there anything that I haven't asked that you'd like to to mention? I think there's a there's a philanthropic aversion to the industries in which we play in the built environment and manufacturing, and I think that that's mostly due to folks being concerned that those areas are too technical, as well as like very complicated from a supply chain and from an incentive and siloed perspective. Um, and what I what I hope to demonstrate over the coming years is that it's much more accessible than you think. We have partners, all those builds, build change, who are doing amazing work and building uh, stronger, more resilient homes for vulnerable low-income populations. It's a huge ROI. It's a huge return on investment from an impact perspective. Um, they need to be capitalized more, and we need to help that on-ramp. Um, and so being more collaborative and focused on bringing potential partners along with us on the long-term impacts that we can we can have is something that I think is really important for our sector overall. Same thing with manufacturing. I mean, there's a ton of philanthropic activity focused on climate change. That big focus on policy and advocacy is not going to get us there, unfortunately. Um, we've got to focus on the actual solution side. And philanthropy has a big role to play, whether through impact investing or even grant making to support the ecosystems overall. But we need more folks investing in these solutions and supporting this ecosystem. And that will be our focus area over the coming years of building a more inclusive tent for some of these solutions and getting more folks on the bus with us. Well, that's a, a great note to end on. It's very much our our the philosophy of our work here at SOCAP as well is, is building the, the biggest tent possible. So. Joe, thank you for taking the time. It was a pleasure to talk to you and and best of luck with the work going forward. Thank you. This has been wonderful, Alex. Thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Money and Meaning. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Joe. If you're interested in learning more about the Autodesk Foundation or the specific impact areas that they work in, resilient communities, low carbon innovation, or future of work, Check out our blog at socialcapitalmarkets.net, where we'll link to their website and and some of the thought leadership they've done in these spaces. Over the next few episodes, we have some great guests coming up, including Anthony Bug-Levine from the Nonprofit Finance Fund, Rahana Nathu from Spectrum Impact, and Beth Bafford from Calvert. So if you enjoy the show, please share it with a friend, rate us five stars on Apple, and stay tuned because we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode.